Yes, we have lots to celebrate this morning. And the Christmas season, I think, is so obviously here. Uh, Jolene and I went uh, Christmas shopping yesterday, and everything from the traffic to the long lineups to the Christmas music playing in, in all the different stores we went in, it just seems so obvious you know, Christmas season is here. <laughs> and those are strange markers of Christmas, but it's come to be things that, that seems to mark our, our cultural understanding of this holiday season. And people are running around full of anticipation. You know, they're anticipating having parties in their homes with friends. They're anticipating time off work. Uh, They're anticipating time with family. And all the kids, you know, they're anticipating the toys and the presents. You know, I remember when I was uh, a little kid, taking all of my Christmas presents out from underneath the tree and bringing them into my bedroom because I was so scared that someone would break into our house in the middle of the night and steal all my Christmas presents. But I was very hopeful and I was full of anticipation for, for Christmas presents. But there's so much more to hope for than presents at Christmas, isn't there? There's so much more to hope for in our lives. You know, some of us are hoping in our, in our schoolwork or in our work careers that that we'll have success, that we will do things well. Others are hoping for the best for our families. And still others are maybe looking at friends or family who are sick and are hoping that those who are ill will, will get better, that they'll experience healing. You know, or maybe it's, it's a family who, who can't have children and they're hoping and anticipating that one day a child will be born to them. Or other families who just, they're just scraping to get by. And are hoping that they'll have all that they need to be able to pay the bills and put food on the table. And that type of hope, hoping for health, hoping that that things will be okay on a day-to-day basis, that is a type of hope that that seems to orient our lives. It's a hope that that changes the way we think. It changes the things that we do on a day-to-day basis because we're so full of, of, of hope and anticipation that change will come to our circumstance. And then as we come this morning, we, there's a different hope, isn't there? We have a hope in Jesus. It is a hope that is so different than all the circumstantial stuff. It's a hope that when we look at the circumstances in our lives where things maybe aren't okay or things aren't working out the way that we want them, there's a hope in Jesus that we can hope that He will work in those situations. There's a hope that in the way that, that Christ has worked salvation in our own lives, that Christ will work salvation in the situations and in the lives of those around us. A hope that Jesus will bring healing to that person who is sick. A hope that Jesus will provide for us when we don't have all that we need. And this message of hope started when God sent His Son. When when God sent Jesus to this earth, what we are celebrating here at Christmas, He He initiated an invitation for humanity to find full life in a relationship with Jesus and to have a hope in eternity. And that hope came to us in an invitation. Jesus came to this earth and he invited us to follow him. He invites us to find our lives in him. He invites us to new life. And he also invites us to a table This morning we have an opportunity to take communion. And I want to take a second just briefly 
um, if I can, to remind us of why we celebrate communion. Why do we do this? Why has Jesus invited us to this table? And what does that have to do with Christmas? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians writes these words, starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This passage identifies to us that we take communion to remember and to proclaim our salvation. Communion is an act of remembering the hope we have in Christ Jesus and a proclamation of that hope. And hope and proclamation become these two anchors that that just ground us in our lives and and it it forms an orientation for us. Communion should shape the way that we see our lives if we allow it to bring hope and a sense of proclamation. And I want to briefly look at these, both at hope and proclamation, but first highlight, as Paul does in this passage, that we participate in taking communion by Jesus' own invitation. That when we come and, and... and take the cup, and we take the bread, that we are receiving something that that Christ has invited us to receive. And we do so as an extension of Christian history. For years they have taken communion in remembrance of Jesus, and we do so this morning. But we do so by the invitation of Christ. And once we receive these elements, once we respond to the invitation of Jesus and take them in faith, Then we remember and we proclaim. So the first thing here we have is remembering hope. We take communion in remembrance of Jesus. And so we remember as we receive. And we receive his body and his blood, which is represented for us in the cup. Which is such an interesting thing. You think as we sit there and we pass the elements down the rows, it is passing to one another. I don't know if you've been in a service before where they've said, but the body of Jesus broken for you, or the blood of Jesus poured out for you. And each time you pass that plate, you're, you're inviting the person next to you to receive something, to receive Jesus. And as they receive Him, they're able to remember Him. And we can remember Jesus, the Son of God, God on earth, Emmanuel, who walked on this earth and he proclaimed a message of life to the full. We can remember Jesus who who went around healing people, who even at the touch of his garment, people received healing. We can remember Jesus who, who fed the thousands. We can remember Jesus who took time with the outcasts. We can remember Jesus who worked on this earth in a way that, that we can only really imagine that we read about in the Gospels. And we can remember Jesus who went to the cross for each and every one of us. And as Jesus lived his life, he demonstrated and he taught that he is the way to God, that he is the truth, and that he is the life. And it's in Jesus that we can find life to the full. 
And it's in Jesus that we can have a hope that is so different than the hope of this world. For the hope of this world is so fleeting. But the hope we have in Jesus is sure and true. We also remember as we place ourselves in the salvation story. We can place ourselves at the table with the disciples. Sitting in the upper room as Jesus first passed the bread and the cup. We can picture ourselves at the foot of the cross. Where Jesus hung and he said, it is finished. And as we place ourselves in that salvation story. We can remind ourselves that, that we once lived a life apart from God. And that upon Jesus' invitation, we responded to that and received life to the full. And something that's so beautiful about communion is that it reminds us that we are not in charge of our salvation. We are not in charge of our salvation. There's nothing that we can add to it. Communion is a picture for us that our salvation is something that we simply open our hands and receive from Jesus. It's something that we open our hands and receive. It's not something we labor in. It's not something that we work as hard as we can to to get salvation or to find the good life. But it's something that we open our hands and receive. And we remember that as we take communion. We remember as we celebrate the new life we've received because Jesus has poured out blood and broken body. And this is the very way that Jesus became hope for us, isn't it? As he died on the cross. And all of this remembering, remembering the life that Jesus lived on this earth, remembering his death and his resurrection, it fills us with hope. We become hopeful in our relationship with Jesus. We become hopeful that Jesus can work salvation continually in our lives, in our families' lives, in the lives of our friends. Communion is a reminder that that Jesus is at work. As much as we remember his death, we remember his resurrection. And that the salvation that he worked on that cross to reconcile us to God, that salvation that he worked to bring us life to the full, life abundant, found in relationship with him, that that salvation is still working out today. And these are the things that we remember. And we live in this hope that Jesus' kingdom will come and that his will will be done. And so remembering rekindles our hope, which leads to the second part, is the proclamation. And so then we can proclaim this hope. So as we take communion, we are proclaiming salvation until Jesus returns. Can we go a couple slides ahead? And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we reflect on the hope that we have received in Christ, we are able to declare anew our love for God. Isn't that amazing? As we reflect on this hope, as we reflect on all that Christ has done, it should fill us with a a fresh love and affection for Jesus. And then the proclamation will come as we recognize that communion is an extension of our worship time. You know, as we sing songs with one another in unison, so too we, 
we take the bread and we, we drink from the cup in unison. It's a part of our worship. It is a part of our proclamation of all that we are proclaiming this morning. The second part of the proclamation goes beyond our communion service itself. It's a proclamation that's lived out. As we receive communion, we are reminded of the salvation that we have, we have, we have but we're also reminded of the identity that we are given in Christ. Because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, as we eat the bread, as we drink the cup, we can be reminded of the oneness we have in Christ and the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. And that as we are reminded of that identity, our proclamation becomes a life that is lived out of that identity. It's a life that is lived out remembering and, and recognizing the salvation that Christ has brought to our lives. As we live out this identity, we live as children of God and not as children of this world. Our lives become a a proclamation of what Christ has done for us. That in every situation, in every circumstance we find ourselves, we, we are faced with an opportunity to proclaim that we are sons and daughters of God. And we can proclaim that. But it's because of what Christ has done. Our proclamation is also one of hope as we anticipate the return of Christ, which is such a beautiful thing. The Christmas season, as we enter into this this time of Advent, we're filled with anticipation. Songs like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel. It's It's a song of anticipation. It's a song of recognizing that that the way things are right now are not okay. But there's a hope in Christmas. Jesus is coming. And we do well to celebrate that that Jesus came as a baby. But we also need not forget that Christ is coming back. Christ is coming back. And we take communion as a proclamation and anticipation of the return of Christ Jesus. You know, as we look around this world, we can see that things are not okay. We might even look into our own circumstances in our own homes with our family. And we might look around and say, things are not okay. But again, as we take communion, as we are reminded of the salvation that Christ works, we should be filled with this hope and expectation that allows us to proclaim that Jesus is coming back. And that when he does, he will make things better. He will continue to work salvation. And that should fill us with so much hope and so much anticipation. So two things. We remember hope. We take communion in remembrance of Jesus. The things that he did on this earth, his death, his resurrection, and his presence in our lives today. But we also proclaim hope. Proclaiming salvation until Jesus returns. I want to invite those who will be serving communion to come to the front now. So I want us this morning to receive the bread and the cup as we remember and proclaim the salvation, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ.
So this morning, as you receive the bread and the cup, I, I pray that you'll do so in a posture of remembering the hope you have in Jesus, but also recognizing that as you take the bread and the cup, it is an act of proclamation of what Jesus has done, but also that it should reorient us that our lives become a proclamation of what Christ has done. I'm going to ask Bob to pray for, for communion. Lord Jesus, thank you for this invitation this morning, again, to participate in the remembrance of what we partake in these elements. For the bread representing your body, we pray and thank you for your sacrifice. It's a sacrifice for our sin. And may we come this morning, not passing over that lightly. May we come with a heart of thanksgiving, but also a prayer of asking for forgiveness. For we all are sinners, forgiven by your grace. Bless this bread as we partake, and as we partake in the juice that represents the wine and the blood that you shed on our behalf. Bless it. May we become renewed. May we see afresh what you have done for us, are con <clears throat> continuing to do and will continue forever. Bless it and bless this time as we share together. In your precious name, amen. Well, you came on a good day to church. Two messages today. We've already had one. Thank you, Pastor Adam, for reminding us about the hope that we have as we gather around the communion table and we want to continue thinking about the subject of hope and proclamation and how we tell the story of Jesus in our lives, <clears throat> excuse me, through baptism. <clears throat> and so on this first Sunday of Advent, we want to spend a little bit of time as well talking about baptism. In a few moments, you are going to witness the baptism of Yukon Gia. And for Yukon, this is a time of great excitement and anticipation and hope. And for him, it's really a proclamation. It's a, a visible testimony of this inner commitment that he has made to Jesus. And so I want to just take a few moments to, to tell you about why we do what we do in the, the way that we do it uh, when we do baptisms at TCC. I was thinking about this material, and a lot of this is something that I cover in our baptismal class, but then I thought, well, many people don't attend the baptismal class until they actually show an interest in being baptized. And so I want to very quickly just review some of this material and, um, and answer five questions. And the first question is, why should I be baptized? The second is, what is the meaning of baptism? Three, why be baptized by immersion? Who should be baptized? And then lastly, when should a person be baptized? Are you ready? I'm gonna, I, I feel like I'm going to be rushing through this, but uh, bear with me. Uh, so why should I be baptized? Reason number one, because Jesus was baptized. Simply put, all four Gospels record the fact that Jesus himself was baptized. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 9, we read, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And so as followers of Jesus, we should do what Jesus did. 
Jesus was baptized, and so we should too. And so that's reason number one. Reason number two, because not only was uh, is because Jesus commanded it. Because not only was Jesus baptized himself, he also told his followers then to baptize. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20, we read, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And in the Greek, the the main verb there is to make disciples. And you make disciples by going and by baptizing and by teaching. And so again, when Jesus does something, we should do it too. When Jesus commands something, we should obey. And the third reason why I should be baptized is because it demonstrates that I really am a believer. Now notice this carefully. It does not make you a believer. It demonstrates that you are a believer. By definition, a Christian is a follower of Jesus, a disciple. And disciples trust and obey the one whom they follow. The book of Acts has many examples of people coming to faith and immediately being baptized. In Acts 18, verse 8, we read, Many of the people who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So baptism always follows belief because it's the first thing to do after coming to faith in Jesus. And in 1 John 2, verse 3, we read, And we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And so obedience becomes this test of discipleship. So why should I be baptized? Because Jesus was, because Jesus told us to, and it demonstrates that we're a believer. But what is the meaning of baptism? Well, two things. One is it illustrates Jesus' burial and resurrection. So in 1 Corinthians 15, we read that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. Now, there's a bit more there, but those are the main points in that verse. He died, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. And that is the very picture of baptism. Going back under the water is dying. Under the water is being buried, and then coming up out of the water is resurrection. And so, not only does it illustrate Jesus' burial and resurrection, it illustrates new life as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Romans, says in verse uh, chapter 6 and verse 4, he says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, I already said that baptism doesn't make you a believer. It simply demonstrates what you already believe. And so it's important to understand that baptism does not save you. You're not saved. You are saved only, excuse me, by your faith in Jesus. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is is one of those key verses, those important verses that we should memorize. It's a key truth. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So baptism then is simply this outward sign of an inner commitment that's already taken place. It illustrates the new life as a Christian. So the third question, why then be baptized by immersion? Well, first of all, as I've already said, because Jesus was baptized this way. Matthew puts it this way, he says, as soon as Jesus was baptized... He went up out of the water, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. 
I mean, why else would he have to come up out of the water if he didn't first go down into the water? The second reason why we should be baptized by immersion is because every baptism in the Bible was by immersion. There was always a body of water, a river, a lake, and the person being baptized went down into it and then came up out of it. And more importantly, probably because of this third one, is because the Greek word for baptize does mean to dip under water or to submerge. In classical Greek, this word was used to describe the dipping of of fabric into dye, so to dye the fabric, or even the sinking of a ship. And so if you're going to dye some fabric a certain color, you've got to make sure that all of that fabric is completely submerged or baptized in that particular dye. And the fourth reason why we should be baptized by immersion is because immersion, again, best symbolizes this burial and resurrection. I already said that Jesus, or that baptism illustrates Jesus' death burial, and resurrection. So baptism then by immersion is this wonderful picture, this wonderful symbol of then dying to our old self and being raised to new life in Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone, a new life has begun. And so when a person is being baptized, it symbolizes this dying to their old self, and they're buried under the water, and then when they come up, it's this new life, and that's why there's great joy and great celebration in in, um, witnessing somebody's baptism, because they are proclaiming their faith in Jesus and the hope that they have in Jesus, and in fact, even the hope of the resurrection to come. So who then should be baptized? Well... Simply put again, every person then who has believed in Jesus. Throughout the New Testament, whenever anyone came to faith in Jesus, they were baptized. You see this in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 in response to Peter's fantastic message there. It says that those who accepted his message were baptized. And you see this pattern time after time after time. Believe and were baptized. Believe and were baptized. So the question then is, If everyone should, when should a person be baptized? Well, I'd like to say it this way. Simply, immediately after believing in Jesus. Because that's the pattern that you see in the Bible. Staying in Acts chapter 2 says that those who accepted his message, right? They didn't go home and think about what this would mean. They didn't wrestle with whether or not they should be baptized. They didn't sleep on it. They just knew that that was the next thing that they needed to do. And they didn't put it off time and time again or year after year. They were baptized, as Scripture says, on that day. So they accepted his message, and on that day they were baptized. And you see this um, immediate response time and time again as you read through um, the Acts of the Apostles. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, Philip preaches the good news. The people listening to it believed, and it says that they were baptized. And one of the people in that crowd, we can read about it in verse 13, was a sorcerer named Simon. And so he puts his faith in Jesus, and he too believed and was baptized. Still staying in Acts chapter 8 and verse 13 38, Philip comes across this Ethiopian eunuch who's reading the scriptures. And he goes up to him and he says, you know, what are you reading about? Do you understand what you're reading about? And he says, well, how can I read if, or how can I understand if nobody explains it to me? And so Peter takes the time and he explains the good news to him. And as they're coming along and you get this picture that they're just journeying in this chariot, 
and all of a sudden they come across some water. And the Ethiopian eunuch goes, look, right here there's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? They stop the chariot, they get out, they go down into the water, and Philip baptizes this Ethiopian. And read about Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9 and verse 17 through 19. Saul, who later becomes Paul, and he has this incredible testimony, right, of the one who was persecuting Christians. Jesus meets him in this powerful way. He has this dramatic conversion, and before he even eats, he was baptized, because he was baptized, and then they went and had some lunch. Acts chapter 10, Peter is speaking to a large gathering of people in Cornelius' house, And they they too have this dramatic experience. They receive the the gift of the Holy Spirit and all of them are immediately baptized. And in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Timothy and Silas, they are speaking to some women who had gathered at the river. And one of them, Lydia, she responds to the message and it says that she and other members of her family are baptized right then and there. And still staying in Acts chapter 16, there's a great story of Paul and Silas there in prison. And one night after midnight, right? You remember this, this story perhaps? That there's this earthquake and the prison doors fly open and the prisoners' chains come loose and all of the prisoners could have escaped. They could have run and gotten out of there. But they didn't. But the jailer didn't know that. And, and, and so he thinks, I, I am responsible for these prisoners. They surely have escaped. And so he's about to... Um, to to take his own life. And Paul says, no, 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 don't harm yourself. We're all still here. And that just starts this conversation with the jailer, To at which point he then stops and he looks at them and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's a great question for all of us. What must I do to be saved? And they respond with this. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's it. Faith, trust, belief in Jesus. That he came to earth, that he lived, that he died. All of what we just remembered in communion. And that he rose again and he is coming back. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved. And then guess what happened? The Bible says that at that hour of the night, so after midnight, sometime in the middle of the night, the jailer and his household were baptized. And I love the, maybe the best part of the account there in Acts chapter 16 is the description then of the jailer, the one who just maybe, you know, I don't know, there's no no timeline, but it was maybe just minutes or hours, he says from nearly taking his own life to he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. And joy is, uh, you know, this remembrance or uh, something that we always talk about at Christmas, but joy comes from knowing who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And then we live out our lives with this deep and profound joy. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. And you see this same thing over and over again. Believe, 
and be baptized. You've heard a lot about Jesus today. You know, we're moving with this hope and anticipation towards the celebration of his birth. <clears throat> and we'll be doing that all through the month of December. <clears throat> Christmas is all about Jesus. But this morning we wanted to start the Advent season by reminding us that Jesus was in fact born to die and to take my place and to take your place. And maybe you have not yet come to faith in Jesus and you're on this journey. And we're thrilled that you're here. We really are. Because where else would you hear about the good news? That we are separated from God because of sin, but Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin. And we can experience the forgiveness of sin by placing our hope and our faith and our trust and belief in him. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, I hope that you're experiencing the joy that that jailer experienced. But if you have not yet been baptized, I want to ask you directly, what are you waiting for? After the service, we would love to talk to you about the reasons that you might have for not being baptized, and we can work through that and wrestle through that with you. But I hope at the very least that I've given you lots to think about today, that we would have a, a better understanding of baptism and why we do it and why we do it the way that we do it. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for just the fact that you yourself were baptized and we read about how his voice from heaven came and just declared at that time, proclaimed, this is my son whom I love in whom I am well pleased. And I pray, Father, for every person who would enter into these waters of baptism, for those who have been baptized, that they would immediately right now go back and to remember that day remember that day where they proclaimed their faith in this visible testimony of baptism so lord we just want to come before you today to express that we love you that we want to follow you and lord i pray for those that are wrestling this morning with whether or not they should be baptized. I pray that you would just use some of these thoughts this morning and help them to work through these things and come to a place where they too might say, yes, I too want to proclaim the hope that I have in Jesus Christ through the waters of baptism. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.